All right, welcome everyone to the John Gardena Classroom. Today we have a special and unique guest from the South, one of my favorite places, Nashville, Tennessee. His name is John Cox, and he lives a life of don't quit. He is the founder and owner of Survival Rubber. He is the co-founder of the BMFJ Events. He's the race director at the Mid-State and Tennessee Mile. His background is in manufacturing for the past 15 years that he has been doing that. Um, he also has been educated through his years and recently just received his master's degree at the University of Southern Indiana in business and management. He just started this new company, um, a product called Survival Rubber that I've, I've used and tried and it works very well. So I'm excited for him to tell his story about how he got to this point in his life and where he's going to go and what his vision is. So without further ado, John, how are you doing today? Hello, this is John. Big bad John. What's up, man? I'm doing great, John. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here and uh, certainly a flattering introduction. I'm not sure if I'm worthy of all those accolades, but they're mine and I'll, I'll be accountable for them that's regardless. Right. That's right. They are yours and that's a good resume. I mean, a lot, a lot of great things on there. So I'm just interested of you know, how did John Cox get to this point in his life? So if you could talk a little bit about the foundation of how you were brought up, about your family and your faith, um, just so everyone gets to know a little bit more about your background. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so I do live in Nashville, Tennessee, but I actually grew up in the Midwest in a small town. Uh, Warsaw, Indiana, which is in north central Indiana, and raised a typical uh, Midwestern upbringing. You know, uh, dad worked a lot pay the bills and uh, mom worked, but, you know, she took us to church. Um, I have a brother and sister. So I spent a lot of time uh, going to church as a kid um, throughout junior high and high school and played a few sports, but nothing really stuck. And so that was kind of my go-to was, was being involved in youth group and church. And that led me to, um, seeking out a degree in ministry the first time around when I went to college. And yeah. So, um, so we left, left my hometown early and kind of been on riding, uh, what, seeking that out ever since. So when you left, I mean, during high was it at the end of high school or no? Yeah, I left at the end of, end of my senior year. Okay. And just so for clarification, you just did some sports. You were just kind of, how would you consider yourself? Because I'm a, I'm a teacher. I've been in high school and, and middle school now for 18 years. And average student, yeah. average athlete, what would you consider oh, yourself? I was probably an average athlete in junior high. I didn't play anything in high school. Okay. Um, and I was probably a below average student. Okay. I, uh, it wasn't something that I saw a lot of value in it at the time. Yeah. And it wasn't something I really put a lot of effort behind uh, getting good grades and, and really studying. You know, I struggled in math. Um, I did the minimal effort I needed to do to get by in high school. It, do you think it was, and I, like I'm saying, my philosophy working with students is you don't know your why yet. So when you don't know your why, you just kind of go through the motions. And it sounded like mm -hmm. that's kind of where you were in high school. Oh, hundred percent. I, I, I didn't know the why I didn't, and I didn't know the value. Yeah. I didn't understand. I learned some good things, um, that I understood later. Like I, I learned how to write a good paper in high school. 
Um, I understood the value behind that, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a lot I poured myself into. So you're just a, let's say basically a typical student, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So then you went off to college. Let's talk about those years for us. So 18, uh, 22. Yeah, man. It, again, just not understanding the value or the why behind what I was doing. Um, just didn't, didn't take it seriously and was being pulled in different directions and, and trying to figure out, you know, who I wanted to be or mm-hmm. what I was supposed to be. So college didn't really work out well for me. The first, first go around. How know, many years, how, how many years were you there before you transferred or left? Uh, I was, well, they, I actually got kicked out and I flunked all my finals. Oh, that's good. And they asked me not that's to come good. back. So <laughs> it happens. It uh, happens to Tommy boy syndrome. It's okay. It happens. Yeah. Um, and you know, that was probably, I was probably around 23. I, I my third year of school or whatever, fourth year. Yeah. Um, I might've missed a semester mm-hmm. uh, because of grades and, and then I was just kind of buffering in life. I, I came home, I worked construction for a little while, um, you know, got into trouble hmm. and then eventually got like a real job. Uh, I started working in manufacturing and you were about 23 at that point. I was about 23, 24 years old. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're just you're floating through life up to 23, <laughs> right? Basically. Yeah. Just, um, just enjoying, let's say, some partying in college, uh, some freedom. Uh, mm-hmm. No real why, no real intention, just just being <laughs> without a purpose, yeah, it, right? It, it, and honestly, I, I wouldn't even say that I was enjoying it. I think I was struggling through it mm. because I wanted to be something more than what I was and I didn't know how to get there and I didn't know what that something was supposed to be. Hmm. So no real clarity from anyone, mentors, anyone in your life that was guiding you just kind of on your own? You know, there's, there's, there's good people. I've always had good people in my life that I could go to and ask questions and, and, and seek that guidance, but it wasn't even, I wasn't even in a place where I was looking for that clarity from someone else it was it was just going out and and trying to forge this this on my own Mm -hmm. and i don't know who know who i am i'm trying to figure it out but i'm not going to let anybody else tell me who i am either gotcha hey that's believe me (laughs) working with many students (laughs) you sound very similar to a lot of students i worked with yeah, yeah, it's incredibly destructive, you know, as, as you think about it as an adult, like, holy crap, that was a really self-destructive time in your life. Well, I, I think what I've learned from students and, and like yourself is you're just going through this path and you haven't really, you don't know everything you need to know, which <laughs> is how life really works, how you should use your talents for something that's mm-hmm. that's great. How about not even knowing the thousands of different jobs that are out there you know the lack of exposure to experience that's another thing that a lot of kids don't have and when you when you don't have those things you have no vision and when you have no vision you have no plan and you have no plan you flounder exactly so you're at you're at the point now where you're starting to work you're becoming a man right working those 40 hour weeks right yeah i was i was definitely uh working and 
you know, trying to figure life out. And eventually it got to the point where I knew that I was capable of more and I wanted to do mm. more and started to, as I, I genuinely began to trust God to guide my life. Hmm. Was, um, it, was there a specific moment? Was there a specific moment that you remember? Or a, no, per, was, a, a period of time? Uh, I don't know if there's any specific moment. I've, I've always known that, that I should trust God in my life and, and seek him first. And But it, it's, it's trying to genuinely apply that. And I think once you spend so much time in darkness or at a low point, um, it's, it was harder to deny that. Mm-hmm. It was much easier to say, all right, well, well I'm going to try. None of this stuff has worked out so far. Doing it my way hasn't really done anything for me. Um, let's, let's just give it a shot and see if I can trust, you know, doing things God's way and let him lead me in whichever direction that is. I'm going to stop saying this is what I want to do. And I'm going to just try to do what God wants me to do. And um, I had, about that time, mm-hmm. I had a buddy I went to school with. His name's Patrick Cannon. And I, had talk, I haven't talked to him for years. I hadn't seen him in 10 years. I would probably talked to him in, in seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And he called me up and asked me if I would go to Nicaragua with him. But he was putting a group together. He was going to take a mission trip and asked if I would go. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go. Like... <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what we're doing, but I trusted his faith wow. enough to to begin to trust my own. Yeah. And so, so that was probably that, that breaking, that turnover point. And how old were you then? Uh, just before I turned 30. Okay. So, so you're working from, let's say, 23 to 24 to 30 and in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And then... <clears throat> Do you, did you have more stable life? You feel like more, more uh, maturity during those years. Uh, I was getting there. It wasn't, you know, obviously peak stability or maturity, but I was getting there, and I think that that trip was kind of a the pushover to really, you know, finally grow up and start putting my life in order. So, what did you learn on this trip at Mister Cannon? Ah. Uh, faith was the big one um and i learned that that i had gifts and abilities that i had um i needed to seek those out and start trying to implement those to make other people's lives better Hmm. so it was so what i hear you saying is you had you had faith you put your trust in god you started to understand that you needed to follow the God's will and then use your gifts and abilities for others. And then mm-hmm. when you put that together, that equation would equal, I call it filling your cup. You, you feel more fulfilled when you started exactly. doing that mindset. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome, yeah. man. So how long was your trip there? It was a week. Okay. And anything that stood out during the trip? You know, I mean, obviously it was an incredible experience. Um, the genuine poverty that exists there that we're, we're shielded from, um, in America, you, you know, the poorest here are, are sometimes live like Kings compared to third world countries and just the love that existed and the love that I was able to feel, um, flow through me in Christ was, was probably 
well I'll remember the best. Yeah. Just that like that presence, God right? gave me the ability to love like Jesus loved. Wow. And it was that feeling. It's so funny you said that because I just wrote a post today for my 40 days of deliverance about love, about loving thy neighbor and how important it is to learn how to love like Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think once you understand that concept as a, as a human, that we are children of God and we just obey that commandment Christ gave us to love one another as he loved us, right? Like, yeah. That's not just a, a blanket statement. That is a deep-rooted love that you can only experience when you have your spirit awakened. And like you did in Nicaragua, you, you mm-hmm. understood how God loves now. And then you went yeah. on. You went on kind of, it sounds like this mission trip kind of turned into what your mission would or could be in your life. Does that sound somewhat exactly. correct? Oh, yeah, 100%. And um, even if I didn't fully realize it at the time, it, it let me under, have that understanding. And I think once you get that feeling and you're loving people like Jesus loves people, then you begin to love God the way Jesus loves God. Mm-hmm. Like, there's really no, like, you can't really walk away from that. It's yeah. just that feeling. And how are you going to get it and, and hold on to it? Man. I need to, I need to take one of those trips to Nicaragua. That's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's awesome. So you get back and kind of, kind of tell us what happens when you get back. I, I, you know, I got back and, um, I, I decided to go back to school and to give myself like another opportunity. And I studied, studied counseling for a while. I felt that was something I needed to do. And mm-hmm. I realized that, that the occupation of counselor just wasn't a good fit for me. So, um, eventually I got really dissatisfied with working by the hour and, and working on the floor and I wanted something a little bit more. And so I started putting in for management positions and I got a management position with the company in Louisiana. Okay. And so from the time I knew the job was open to the time I was actually living in Louisiana, it was about three weeks. So I had lived, grew up in Northern Indiana. I lived in Kentucky for a few years and now I was going, you know, to, to the Northwest corner of Louisiana. Um, deep South then, huh? Yeah, the deep South, an environment I've never really been in surrounded by people that didn't know me and I didn't know a completely different culture and that I was going to be, you know, their leader Mm -hmm. in this manufacturing process. And so it was. It was <laughs> sounds like a shock. Different. Yeah, it seems like it a... was. It was definitely a shock for sure, and it caused me. It made me grow and grow quickly. So um, you were uncomfortable. That's what it sounds like when you went there initially, at least. I was I was uncomfortable with everything, but my reason for being there, I I, I believe that's where God was guiding my path mm-hmm. was to that job. And so I was very secure in knowing why I was there. It was just whether I could execute my purpose there or not. Hmm. Well, God does, <laughs> just like Moses or Abraham, you know, you, you got to be rooted from where you're comfortable um, to, to find the promised land. For sure, for sure. And it was, it was rough. I mean, it was, it was a hostile environment for me as a supervisor. Um, it was a union shop, and obviously I wasn't, union the culture was different i didn't look like them i was younger than they are and, and i was jealous a yankee. yeah you were a yankee and they were jealous of you you young stuff stud right and they didn't 
they didn't want me telling them what to do. And so it was, it was very difficult. It was a very difficult situation to be in. It was, um, at times it was fearful. Hmm. Like I was afraid to go to work. Hmm. Um, they, they actively pursued getting me fired until I left. And my boss pulled me in his office one day. He said, Hey, I need you to come talk to me when you get off. So I, I talked to him for a few weeks and I figured it wasn't a big deal. He said, John, we got to get you out of here. Hmm. Wow. He said, they're not going to stop until you get fired. I said, well, what do you mean? I ain't not going anywhere. I'm not afraid. He said, no, <laughs> no, buddy. Like it, you need it, to go. It, we, we, we got to get you out of here. And so he, uh, he looked at the other positions that were available within the company. And, uh, I put in for one here in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's how I actually got to Nashville. And, um, you know, all along, it's just, I think God's just guiding this, this path in, in my life. And sometimes I'm much more resistant to it than others. And, um, the more I resist, obviously the harder things go in my life, but the more I'm willing to just go with the flow of his direction, uh, the much, much easier things seem to be. Oh yeah. That's the old Jonah now. (laughs) If you go to Nineveh, Jonah, you don't have to go out to sea and get swallowed, spit up, and then walk even more miles back to where I told you to go. Yeah, so that's where it that sounds like work. God was leading you to, eventually to, to Nashville, Tennessee, where you reside currently. Absolutely. So, so you got there in your early 30s in Nashville. Uh, you were in management still? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was a production supervisor here in Nashville. Um, started on second shift, left Nashville on first shift when they decided my uh, – my tenure was done with the company, and that was about a year and a half ago. Okay, so about 18 months ago, you finished there. And talk, mm-hmm. talk about recently, all these new – I mean, you have a lot of things that have happened in the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's been a ride for sure. And, um, you know, started a company, started started a race company, and um, just been committed to growth and, and growing in myself and helping other people grow along the way is – been what the past two years have been about for me yeah so you always been it sounds like you've you transform into this leadership role all right management Mm -hmm. to me is leadership and then you found this new passion in your 30s of of, it sounds like running or just more athletic events and that's how you became uh the co-founder of bmfj right yeah i had uh I'd ran a marathon in 2014 and it was really just one of those things to check a box. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody that had ran a marathon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a degree or anything. And and so like, well, if I could, if I can do that, then I'll, I'll have done something that, that no one else I know has done. And that's going to be a big deal. So that's what I set out to do. I didn't, I didn't run five K's. I was sitting on the couch and, I started running a mile every day around the block and, and in that process and, and then figuring out how to train for a marathon and saying, I'm, I'm going to run a marathon. Like that's going to be my standard. That's going to be the bar I set. And if I can do that, then I'll have done something with this life of mine. When did that, when did that thought occur to you to, to run a marathon? Oh man, I just, I just looked around and I wasn't happy. Hmm. I wasn't happy with anything that I had done yet. Um, I felt unfulfilled. 
And so I, you know, I obviously I knew marathons existed. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to. That seems that seems almost impossible. Well, <laughs> to be honest, um, one of my guests I've had on Bree Hagen, she's talks about the one percent, and she mm-hmm. read a magazine when when she was I think nursing one of her little kids, and it was a fitness magazine about how less than 1% of people run a marathon in their life. So it sounds very similar to that. You wanted to accomplish something on your checkbox mm-hmm. that, you know what, I I can do something that's a 1%, I guess, per se, um, achievement, right? Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. And I wanted, and it, not knowing then, but what I've discovered in the past year is that I wanted that achievement to to help define me. Mm-hmm. So you you run this marathon, you accomplish, you, you get the checkbox, you mm-hmm. move on, and I, I sounds like it. The way the story is going to go is that you're like, huh, I can do either this again or do something else, fitness wise, to push myself. Yeah. So what's what were the next steps leading up to where you created a, a racing event? Well. Honestly, after that, I, I didn't run a lot. I, hmm. I ran a couple of half marathons, and I moved to Nashville. Uh, I got involved with a training program. Somewhere in that marathon journey, I had discovered that 100-mile races existed. Hmm. And and so that was always the distance in in the back of my mind that I wanted to complete. Like, now that I know 100-mile race is, is real, like, that's what I want to do. And so when I moved to Nashville, I started on that. Path. And I got involved with a local training program and, you know, that's where I met Becca, my partner. Yeah. And, um, we started running together and, you know, I ran a few 50 K's and a 50 miler, and, um, on this journey of mm-hmm. ultra running. And then this is another one of those, those things that COVID made happen. Um, the parks got shut down. Our friends didn't have anywhere to run anymore. We couldn't hang out. So Becca had always talked about wanting to clear this this path on her family farm where she grew up and have people out to run it so yeah. we couldn't go anywhere else that's what we did we we cleared off uh what's basically an old logging road um and we, we said hey you know we can't go to the park if you guys want to come out here and run it's pretty rough but we think it'll be fun and it was a couple weeks of doing that and our friends we were at the top of one of the hills and our friends said you know you guys should put on a race out here and so we just kind of looked at each other and said, all right, that's what we're going to do. And so with the help of the help of our friends and, and a lot of faith, um, we pushed ahead and we put that first race together uh, in three months. From the time we had that conversation and our friends said we should do it to the first whistle um, on Father's Day weekend, it was three months. So you're, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I'm, I, I remember watching on Instagram because mm-hmm. I, I just started following Jesse Itzler and with Chad Wright because they went came together with Mark Brown too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what kind of race is this, first of all? Because <laughs> I never heard of a, a last man standing event. Never heard of it before. And then this next thing I'm like, why? how is this race even open right now during, during COVID? <laughs> so yeah. why don't you talk about how the right – how you started the race like you had three months in between you and becca decided like hey we're gonna do it the whistle blows on 
the Father's Day weekend in June. So kind of ex- talk talk us through that process. Well, it, you know, we we pushed ahead in in faith and settled on. So we had a one point one mile loop is what what the course ended up being the path we cleared and it's got 340 feet elevation gain and loss, which makes it a pretty tough mile to run. Yeah. And and we were trying to figure out what kind of race can we put on that will play to the strengths of the course that we have. And I think a last man standing event is probably one of the purest forms of ultra running. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love them. And I said, you know, we can do a last man standing here because a 50 K isn't really going to hit it. That's way too many loops and it's just not going to be very interesting. And so, we settled on a last man standing with a 20 minute time limit to do the loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole, you know, other races were shut down and we just didn't really pay a lot of attention to the scandemic that was going on. Mm-hmm. And we had some restrictions that we got real worried about in the end. And one of those was, was whether you're allowed to have people have crowds and it was outside. And, um, but one of the things that one of the caveats to having gatherings was that, Weddings didn't didn't essentially have a limitation on crowd size, so we had a good friend of ours, Keith Overbay, was going to get married, and so he he volunteered to get married, uh, and then have his, and then say that the wedding reception, reception was going to happen yeah. at that race. Mm-hmm. You got an so angle. You of, had an angle, John. So if anybody got real nosy or wanted to make a fuss, uh, we had a marriage certificate there, and we you know had a little little canopy set up as a bride and groom tent and um it, we were gonna die on the hill of it was a wedding reception and not a race and <laughs> yeah there you go first race and, uh, wedding reception ever yeah and you know we didn't have any problems and um obviously it went off with without there being an issue and we didn't have to rely on that well the race was a huge success i mean from those who follow three to seven project um and Jesse Itzler, because I know he was posting a lot live during that race mm-hmm. and him eating all his bananas and all that good stuff and and Chad following suit with the honey on top. And I just <laughs> – and you know what? Greg Armstrong, this is true. Yeah. Greg Armstrong, the week after the race, I, I called him and we talked. And, man, what a gentleman he is. He Yeah. Jeez, John, he is just – and I, I never met him in person. I'm, I'm sure you can speak – much more clearly on his character, but just the way he presented himself and the kind of guy he is, um, man, he's such a man of character. Yeah, he certainly is. Um, he, he's a man of, of above reproach. He's, he's probably the nicest man in Tennessee and he's such a great guy. He's got a huge heart in the work that he does. And so we were lucky, you know, Becca and I sat down and we put a list together of people that we would hope would, would come and run the race. And obviously Greg was on the list and Chad was on it and, and they came and, you know, put on a heck of a show and had a wonderful finish. And, but originally we were just, you know, going to see if we could get 50 of our friends to come out and run this thing. And that was kind of, you know, the hope yeah. that I had in the beginning was, well, let's just see if we can get some people to come out and run this thing to see if it works. And, and the response to it was bigger than that, obviously. And, and um, I think we ended up having about 75 or 80 that first year. Mm-hmm. And and the finish that Greg and Chad had, because of who they are as, as individuals and the characters that they live up to, I think just cemented it into people's hearts that, that something special is happening at this venue yeah. that's bigger than just a race. 
Well, a lot of my friends in the community, like the Jeff Foresters and Tim Douglas were, was there and, and uh, Mike Craven. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many, there's so many more that I, I can't re- mention right now, but they all just say, you know what, this is, this is family. This is not a race. And the, the brotherhood, the brotherhood of being there for each other, even when they get knocked out, just the support that they have for one another is, is bar none to, to anything else. So it, you've, you've, you and Becca have created something very special, you know, which has drawn me to do the race this year. Um, I told my wife actually last night after I signed up, <laughs> I said, honey, on Father's Day, I'm going to be in Tennessee and you can come with me or not, but I'm going hell or high water. So yeah. it'll be exciting because you know what? Um, it's a race, like you said, that that is special, that's different, um, that that I guess solidifies the brotherhood of those who mm-hmm. you know know each other. We we look at it as almost like a reunion for all of us who communicate daily on Instagram, and from the Mighty Warrior Council with Tim Douglas and Jeff Forrester doing his thing and Three to Seven Project and, and my group of people, I'm my classroom now, it's just amazing to see everyone coordinating and saying, like, "I'll see you in June." It's it's so funny, John, because I don't know if you see it, but I do all the time. Yeah, and you know we we see little bits and pieces of it and. And so it's an honor to us. We're just blessed that that we didn't make this community. We just we we created an opportunity for a community, you know, to exist. And we wanted to build a community. We wanted to have that space where people can can come together. But you know, Becca and I don't make it anything special in and of ourselves. It's it's the people that show up and and support each other that really makes this a special place to be and come back to. Yeah. Well, I think. I think this race will go on as long as you two are willing to do it every year. Well, we're going to be doing it a while then. No, I, no I, I think it's awesome. <laughs> so let's move on to, um, let's move on to your company right now. This, this new, you're the new founder of survival rubber, which again, I've used, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it's just, it's ingenious of what, what you and is it you and Becca who've done this together too? Beck and I are doing this together. Um, she's she's kind of my, uh, um, you know, vice president of integrated technology and financial CFO and social media ambassador. <laughs> she she handles a lot of the nuts and bits of running the business, and and I just kind of make product and and handle the the uh, manufacturing side of it because that's where my background is. Yeah, but, uh, we definitely do it together. Well, talk about the origin. How did this product be, get created? The origin is 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 kind of simple. Is I wanted to start a fire, and I wanted to be able to start a fire whenever I wanted to. I wanted a fire starter that I could carry in my pocket that wasn't bulky or weird or mm-hmm. um, you know clunky. I wanted to be able to put it in in my cap if I wanted to, or or just kind of stow it anywhere and. I looked on the market and there, there wasn't anything quite like it. Um, and so I set about trying to, trying to put something together. And I went through a whole bunch of prototypes of, of, of trying to add a fibrous material and an accelerant, um, playing off an idea of a cotton ball and Vaseline. 
Yeah, that's what. Which is what I used to start that first fire. Okay. Um, I thought, man, this is great, but I can't really carry this with me. I can't really put this in my pocket. But if you could put it in your pocket, if you could get this into a package that was waterproof, I think you'd be onto something. And yeah. So, a condom package, ironically enough, is a really good package size to carry around for with you kind of anywhere, and it's waterproof. And I yeah. thought, why don't they just do that? And they don't do that. And so I said, well, why don't I just do that? Yeah. And so that's what I set out to do. And um, took a few months of, of playing with different things and, and find the combination that worked and a package that worked and a way to repeat that process that was was reliable um, and it, repeatable so that I could actually have a product and not just a, a one-off that kind of looks the same. Yeah. I mean, I know that when you sent me the package of, you know, the, the survival rubbers, it was like, it was legit. I'm going to be honest. It was really nice. And I, I appreciate that. No, I, I, I showed my wife and she's like, what do you, what is that? You know, first thing at <laughs> glance, like, what do you, what do you have that for? I'm like, it's exactly. for a fire. It's for a fire. She's yeah. like, I never seen anything like that before. And I go, I'm going to make a little video just to show you how, that it works like live. And she's like, mm-hmm. you're crazy. And I'll be honest. I always liked the production because growing up, I was like, we always did videos when we were kids and in high school, uh, little video productions. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this video. So I know I sent it to you, but hope it turned out okay. No, it's great. Appreciate it. I just wanted to show how the how simple the product is. I mean, you have the little package, oh, easily to open. You know, you spread the contents onto your kindling, and then you just take a lighter and, I mean, it's right up, ready to go. Yeah. Um, it's that simple, it, it doesn't get it doesn't get more simple than that. I was talking to a guy earlier that, you know, his kids can figure it out. So, oh, yeah. Uh, if, if it's safe for children, a kid can fi- start a fire with it, then an experienced backwoodsman should be able to do the same. And uh, the marketing's fun. It's a little cheeky. But at the end of the day, the, the product really works. And that's what's most important. It, it, that you, yeah. you can rely on it. I think that's what, you know, from an advertising standpoint, it's um, it's unique in the sense that it's something that um let's just use the word protection i mean it protects <laughs> no it it'll it could protect you from literally going cold if it was cold outside um and i'll tell you a story when uh, uh, hurricane sandy hit on the east coast i think it was 2012 man I, I could barely start a fire i had no wood really in my backyard living like a yankee you know and mm-hmm. i if i had that product and i and i had um just a little bit of kindling wood it would have been so nice to have and to restart fires too multiple yeah. times and it's always hard to start a fire unless you know how to do it really well so with with your product it's 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 dummy proof it really is you just as long as you have dry kindling wood um you just separate the material and light it up and you're you're good to go and it's it's a nice thing too is it's accessible to either put in your pocket put it in a backpack leave it in your car somewhere that you can easily get to it so ingenious you and becca i really applaud both of you <laughs> thank you it, it's you know it was all just looking for for a solution to to a simple problem and how do i carry a fire starter around with me and what can i carry so that i if i am back in the woods on a long run and the weather turns south or, or god forbid i get lost or, or something of that nature then i'll have something there that will let me start a fire to keep warm yeah. Um, 
And I know there's a lot of people out there that spend time in the woods and, and either carry a fire starter on them or, or should carry a fire starter on them. And then hopefully, you know, this, this will, will be their go-to that will let that fire burn and get hot and, uh, they won't even notice it, that it's there. So, um, one of the big incentives for me was be able to put it in my running vest and, and yeah. not think about it. It's so, it's so funny you said that because in my running vest, I have, I have a pocket knife, I got a whistle, I got a compass and, mm-hmm. you know, extra food and water all the time. But I always think to myself, what if, you know, and I'm going to definitely put one of those in my vest now. Like what if this happened going on for a 20, 30 mile run and what if I get lost? You're right. Or it gets cold out or dark. I'm screwed. Yeah, you just don't know, and you can come across somebody that's that's gotten lost or in yeah. the stages of hypothermia that needs to get warm. And so, it's it's the best way to start a fire. It's reliable. It burns for about five minutes. You can you can take it anywhere. Um, it's great. So I want to let everyone know how can they purchase the product. What website can they go to? Uh, currently, they can go through our Instagram of at Survival Rubber, or they can find us online. Uh, at survivalrubber.com are our two current avenues for sale. We're working on a third uh, mainstream with the two-day shipping through the big global conglomerate, um, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. So, Okay. Um, I'll tell you what, I will definitely put it in the show notes and, like we said, uh, advertise for Survival Rubber for a product that I definitely would hope everyone would have on them at all times, Uh, whether, like I said, in your car, in your running vest, uh, at, at home, whatever, just, just to have it on you. Cause it works. And I, yeah, it just works. It's simple. It works. And you know, another thing too, is I thought about, you know, if you were running or if you were hiking or camping or whatever, and someone, you know, you just gave them the package. Hey, Hey, just in case you need this, uh, to help you out just as a friendly gesture, mm-hmm. it, it's a great way to start a conversation or, Absolutely. And there's no reason not to be prepared. So, um, well, John, I tell you what we have, you have done uh, a great job of explaining your background. I got to know more about you today and I'm, I'm so appreciative of, of building relationships with, with good character people. Um, just, I guess, leave everyone with one thing your, your vision is, um, in your life that you'd like to accomplish. I know there's probably a big list, a lot of check boxes, but what's one thing when, when John Cox is 80 or 90 and he's on that rocking chair and he's talking to his grandkids, what's one thing you like, what legacy would you like to leave for them? You know, it, I think the, the big thing that, it, that, it keep, that draws me and, and pushes me is growth. And yeah. so it's not, a, not an accomplishment. There isn't anything that I really want to do. And I was sitting around, you know, obviously with a lot of other people at the beginning of the year, um, a couple of days ago, and everybody signed up for races. And, you know, in your ultra running community, that's always a big thing of which race are you going to do or what race do you want to do this year? And I just didn't, I'm not being pulled to, to do any one thing mm-hmm. because the thing in and of itself doesn't really matter to me. Um, I had this, this delusion that, that I could sign up for things and achieve things. And, and by achieving that, that somehow it would make me who I was. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people go into, um, seeking out an achievement or seeking out a race and saying, well, I'm going to run this race. And then, and then this is who I'm going to be. And, 
and really what happens is that you sign up for that race and then you put in all this work to be able to run that 50 or 100 miles or 20 miles or whatever it is and then through that work you become the person that can mm -hmm. run that race and so to me my achievement what i want to do is i want to grow yeah. i didn't i didn't sit down to come up with a business plan and be an entrepreneur and, and becca had to really like push me to put like founder owner a survival rubber in my bio because that's not how i see myself i just there was a problem that i wanted to solve yeah um and you know i, I got degrees because i thought there was something you know value inherent in having the degree um i actually joked with a friend about putting my my degree up for sale <laughs> yeah well the other day because i haven't used it yet well but, you know what, being being in education and have my master's as well, I would say this, that a degree doesn't define you. It, it just It's just a, a piece of paper. You know, it could open doors for opportunities. But like we, what you're saying is that you don't have to seek a degree to pursue a passion that, you're, mm -hmm. that you could be great at, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's an investor, teacher what whatever i think that what i hear you saying is that you you like the experience of life you want to push yourself out of the comfort zone and you just want growth at the end of the day whatever that looks like it, it could be different you don't you never know because right now your company survival rubber could just exponentially grow in before you know it right in front of your eyes absolutely and i hope it does and it's you know and that's what i want i want it to grow so that I can help others grow as well. That's that's you know what, John, and that's why I like you because exactly what you said. Once in that Nicaragua, we go back to the Nicaragua trip. Is that once you found out you have gifts and talents, which you do, you communicate well, you have leadership talent and skills, you have vision, you you know how to make things. Like you have a lot, you have a lot of God-given skills that you've crafted and you've you've refined, and because of that you know that you can make an impact in others' lives. And, and by doing that, that's what fills your cups. And that's what you were missing in high school and college. Mm -hmm. That was it. Now you know you got it because of the love you found from God. And now you are pursuing the passion to, to help others. And when you help others, there's no greater feeling than you know that you're getting filled up and doing the Lord's will. 100%. Man, I'm so happy for you. You and Becca. It's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, man, it's it's a blessing for sure. Well, I look forward to, you know, continuing our conversations together. I will, like I said, I'll advertise for your product, Survival Rubber, because I believe in it. And, um, you know, looking forward to, to seeing you in June, meeting you. You want that yeah. nice referee shirt on? I can't wait for you to <laughs> yell at me. Come on, John. One more, buddy. Uh, hopefully I don't have to. Hopefully you, you, you just you keep just going. Roger up and keep going. That's what I want. Just one mile at a time, one step in front That's of the other. That's all it is. Yeah, I just it'll be it'll be good for for me and just to be with my brothers too there and with you meeting everybody. And I just look forward. You're right. Same thing like you said. The experience of life, and there's no greater feeling than be part of a community. And you. Oh, it's gonna be a great weekend. It, it will, and you've created. You and Becca have created a something that everyone will talk to their children about and their grandchildren one day about the Mid-State Mile. I'm telling you, it's a fact. That is, uh, 
that is is one of the best compliments, man. Thank you. Uh, it's it's surreal in a lot of ways that that we get to play host to yeah. so many amazing people. Well, you two are amazing people. You're you're amazing at what you do. Your visions awesome, and like I said, I I look forward to your success in the coming years, my man. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. We appreciate you being on today, and class is dismissed.